Uh, hey guys, it's Whit Richardson again. Just uh, another contest entry. One thing I like about ASL is the complexity. I love the chrome. More chrome, the better. And I think maybe this is the elitist in me, but uh, you know, I love ASL because so many other people are intimidated by it. So that's, that's the elitist talking. But um, I really love the chrome, and uh, I love uh, that that rule book is so thick. I love that uh, I can sit down and read it like. Uh, um, you know, and always find something new. All right, guys, thanks. Bye. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Two Half Squads. I'm Jeff. And I'm Dave. Here we are. This is episode 46. 46. And it's January 10th, uh, Monday. Yeah. And we're recording two episodes tonight. So when we, when we, our episode 45 also says that it's January yeah, don't, 10th. Don't worry about the dates. Yeah. Don't bother setting your clocks or anything. So we got a, uh, a letter that said, uh, from a listener that said that we banter too much and he just, what? You know, we kind of get, we're getting the feeling that people just want, to, want us to get on with the squad later. Yeah, you didn't see that? No. Yeah. So people are, you know, just get on with it. Well. So. Okay. Why not? And All we're right. not getting that much, you know, fan mail anymore, so probably people aren't listening. So let's just do our thing and, and be done with it. Okay. All well, right. can I play a voicemail from someone that did give us one back when we had our contest? Sure. Hey, guys. This is uh, Whit Richardson again. I'm just calling to uh, leave another message for this contest, but, you know, here's what uh, I love about ASL. I love the fact that I know that I'm never going to be, I'm never going to master, never going to be an expert. There's always something else uh, to learn. No matter how many years I will play, I'm only a three-year veteran at this point, but, you know, even if you play 40 years, you're always going to learn something new. And I just love that depth and uh, just that that idea of, of knowing that you'll never master it. I don't know. Some people hate that. I love it. So... That's that. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks. Thanks, Whit. We appreciate your call. Now we have an interview that we did at Aslock with Evan Sherry. Or do we want to do that first or do we want to do the... Evan Sherry. Yeah. So interview with the fabulous Evan Sherry. Very nice of him to take some time out and talk to us you're, while we were over there in you're, Cleveland. You're bantering. Oh, sorry. Here's our interview. And here we are back at uh, Aslock. 2010, and we're talking with Evan Sherry. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for sitting down with us. Sure. Nice to meet you. We're big fans of your stuff. Well, I'm glad somebody is. And of you as a human being, I'm sure. Lots of big fans of your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little about your gaming background, if you could. Well, um, we've talked a lot about it in the pages of Schwerpunk, but basically um, we started out when we were back in high school, a bunch of friends of mine, and we we started out playing uh, Panzer Blitz, moved up to Panzer Leader, and uh, whenever it came out, 79, 78, 79, when ASL came out, we started playing Squad Leader. Well, when Old Squad Leader came out, we started playing yeah. Squad Leader. We self-taught. We didn't have anybody teach us how. It was just me and a couple of friends, and uh, we've been playing ever since. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's not uh, just a hobby. <laughs> and are, are some of those guys in, involved with you in the Schwerpunk stuff? Oh, absolutely. Randy Thompson was one of my first opponents, and uh, uh, Wayne Ernst, who's an old friend of mine. from We go back to elementary school, and uh, wow. he still plays occasionally. 
yeah, he's part of the group still. That's great. So how did you go from being a player to being a publisher? Well, we I've always designed scenarios. From the time I played original squad leader back in the 70s, um, I always liked designing my own scenarios. And we played some of the published scenarios, but we quickly ran through. I mean, there were only 12 scenarios to start off yeah, with. Yeah, for a long time. So uh, I just started designing scenarios right off the bat. And, you know, a lot of more hypothetical back in those days. But we eventually got into historical stuff as we, you know, started reading more and, and all that. And um, we started the tournament back in the, uh, the 90s. In uh, 93, I think, was our first tournament. And... Um, it just grew from there. We we made scenarios for the Florida ASL tournament, and it just kind of got out of hand. We we decided to go ahead and publish them. Uh, my friend uh, Randy Thompson and um, Mike Faulkner, of course, um, big influence there, and Bob Walden. Um, they w- said that the scenarios were good enough that we should try and publish them. And in uh, 1996, we burst on the scene here, unannounced. No one knew who we were, and. Uh, just came up and sold the first Shrepunk, punk, Shrepunk punk number one, to pay for our trip to Aslock. Good the way to do history. it. Yeah. yeah, that's a great way to do it. Yeah. And uh, you you publish these on a pretty regular basis, it seems like, because you're in volume what volume 16. I see right. something sitting there on the table. So. We, it's the Shrepunk punk release was always intended to be an Aslock release. That was to pay for our trip to come up initially. Oh. And we just kept the kept the tradition, maintained that through all those years, and it's kind of it's almost like our duty now. It's it's hard to even stop because the <laughs> players almost expect Shrepunk when you come to Aslock now, and, and I think it helps uh, it helps the players here at, at Aslock. You get something new to play, and no one's ever seen them before, and um, I think the players are looking forward to seeing a new product, and we try to deli- deliver that product with the Shrepunk. We have a similar story because we do we get here to Aslock based upon uh, donations that we get to the podcast. So we unfortunately we only got halfway here and then we had to hitchhike the rest of the way. So, really? Yeah, we're sleeping in the we're sleeping in the lobby. So so keep those donations coming, listeners. <laughs> but yeah, I mean your stuff gets very well received. So. You sort of have a uh, expectation to release something every year, and do you do you start planning right away for the following year or what you want to do? And is there some rhyme or reason to the stuff you put together? Well, Shrepunk is usually a variety pack. We try to cover as many time periods and theaters as possible. We like to include some PTO in there. PTO is not my favorite or my, not my specialty. I like ETO. It's been some people made some comments about why we do so many 1944 and 45 scenarios. Well, that's a period I like to play. And uh, I design what I like to play, and I venture off into some of the other areas. It's, some of it's about source material, getting English language sources is always helpful. Design, it, it's compulsive with me. I can't stop designing scenarios. It's what I my real hobby is designing ASL scenarios, and playing ASL enables me to make the scenarios. I see. Yeah. And so, you've got a new pack for. Uh, ASL two for ASLOC 2010. What's this pack like? Well, uh, Shrepunk number 16 uh, is the standard format. There's really nothing new about the format. It's a standard 12 scenario pack. With uh, there's one article in there on the, the Marine Corps that uh, our friend Brooke White wrote. There are um, 12 scenario analyses in there. One for each of the scenarios gives you some helpful hints on how to play 
each of them. And this year we, we had a pretty good variety. We got some stuff, uh, I think about three or four of them. They're 1943 or earlier. Got some early work, got some French stuff in there. I think there's three PTOs in there as well. So we got a pretty good mixed pack. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that, uh, the idea of including some little write-up for each scenario on how to play the scenario. The uh, scenario analysis? Yeah. Is well, that a... Is, I, I can never decide if I like the idea or not. Should I read this or should I not? Should I, do I want to be surprised and just figure out my own way? Or? Well, I like to think that we're contributing to better play of ASL. Not that we're experts in all of ASL play, but we, you know, we've been doing it a couple of years, so we know how to play the game. And um, I think we're, I think the, a, the that the analysis contributes to better play. And you may you may learn a tactic that you haven't learned before, especially with AFEs and such, but. It gives that player, for example, if you had played the scenario before and you were going to go and play someone else, you might want to suggest to your opponent, hey, why don't you read this analysis and you'll know as much about the scenario as I do. And, you, you know, that, that's one thing. That, there's nothing saying that you should read the analysis before or after. It's just whatever you want to do. If, yeah. you, if you don't want to read them at all, that's fine. Just if, if we want to have an edge uh, and not have to study the scenario so long, if you don't have a lot of time to, to grok the scenario and figure out what you need to do, you can read that analysis, and, and you'll know as much about the scenario as I do. Gotcha. And I think it makes it easy. It makes yeah, it, it helps players get into the game. Especially in, in the tournaments like this where time can be a very, very important factor. Yeah, it can be helpful. How did you come up with the name Schwerpunk of all of the words you could have used? <laughs> all the German well, words. Schwerpunk... In some of our training in the U.S. Army, we studied different countries, you know, technique of warfare, and in, um, we always focused on the main effort in the U.S. Army, the main effort, the main point where you concentrate overwhelming force to achieve a victory or breakthrough, and it's derived, I mean, it's a standard military tactic, but the German Army had the tactic of Schwerpunkt, which means literally Schwer, heavy, punk, point, heavy point. It's the main attack where you're going to achieve that overwhelming force to to attain a victory. And uh, we kind of thought that it, it characterized, what, you know, illustrated the way we played, too. It, it's When you think of Schwerpunk, when we think of Schwerpunk, we think of getting on with it. You know, don't... Uh, we're not, we don't want to fool around. We don't we want to get right to the right to the action and get right to the point. And I think I think it it's a, a good descriptive thing of the way we like to play. Now you also have a series, uh, the Rally Point series, which is tell us about that. Well, Rally Point started off as a way to uh, showcase some scenarios, scenario types or themes that wouldn't normally appear in Schwerpunkt. Schwerpunkt kind of has a has a, um, a reputation for being fast playing uh, tournament style scenarios. We've kind of we branched out a little bit from that. We have scenarios I would call tournament scenarios, which are a little bit larger than your standard tournament uh, tournament scenario, but not quite a large or medium scenario. They, they, uh, Schwerpunkt is characterized by a scenario that runs five five and a half up to about seven turns. Gives you you can play the Schwerpunkt. Our goal is to provide players with a scenario that they can play within the time frame allotted in a tournament center in a tournament environment of course there's variations on that but um, with a rally point a rally point was a chance for us to do themes or design scenarios that were a little odd we would feature a lot more chapter H paratroopers or air um, 
air support, such things as that. And it, it just gave us a chance to branch out and, and have an, another medium to produce scenarios that might not appear in, in short form. So and how often do those come out? It was never designed to have a schedule. Uh, short Punk started out to, or Rally Point started out, Rally Point 1 was uh, targeted to uh, support the release of Armies of Oblivion. And it featured uh, Axis Minor scenarios. And there were, sort of in a tradition of Short Punk, they were smaller. Whereas if you look at the Armies of Oblivion scenarios, they were kind of large. And when we busted open that thing and we looked at it, we thought, well, these are really nice scenarios, but they're pretty big. And I think a lot of those were designed with sort of a style of play that was, I don't know, maybe um, maybe kind of in an era previous to now. I, I think ASL play is is evolved, and it's a faster. I describe modern play of ASL as like nine ball. If you've ever seen a nine ball tournament, it's a lot of action, a lot of moving around, and the game is over. And that's what Punk and Rally Point are trying to do. Not, we don't do a lot of road marching in, in short punk and rally point. If you look at old scenarios, old squad leader scenarios, yeah, more maneuver. you'll see six six boards, ten turns, long road march, big wide flanking yeah, maneuver movements. And, uh, <laughs> and we've taken those things and boiled them down, and we got the snapshot to where the flank and all that's been done, and now here's the assault, and we're getting to the action. Yeah, right. Right, I like point did both kinds of scenarios, but... Uh, I think early on, especially, there was not enough of this scenarios like in Schwerpunkt that were quick and to the point that you could play in a weeknight, too. It doesn't have to be in a tournament situation. You can't play on a weekend. You have to play on a weeknight. Those kind of fit. Yeah. Well, we've, we've got some scenarios in there I would call medium scenarios. I, I don't know if you could call it hardly any Schwerpunkt scenarios a large scenario. But for us, you know, a medium scenario... Is, is a good side. When we start running up into six hours plus playtime, that's that's a long a long short punk scenario. And uh, the, this one that's just coming out, uh, volume 16, is called. What's that? Uh, a forum? What's the, what's the title on this? This it's just short punk 16. 16. It doesn't okay. have a theme. It's a it's yeah. A you mix just pack. go by a number, right? And There's 12 scenarios in there, and this sells for. They're $25. $25. Ooh, it feels nice. And, well, we have reviewed these products before on our show. Well, those are yours. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, That'll give us time to peruse them. We won't have to rush through them. Okay. Right. So it'll be our what's in the box. We'll do our what's in the box. (laughs) What's in the plastic wrap. Yeah. $25 from your website, which is, what's the website? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> no, nobody knows their website. I don't, I don't know what the website is. <laughs> Just uh, search for Schwerpunkt, and we're about number two down on the Google search. And that's Schwerpunkt, S-C-H-W-E-R-P-U-N-K-T. Don't ask me to spell it again. It Google it. It all comes up on Google. Yeah, to the right place. Yeah, but again, doing a quick glance, yeah, just as you've described them, perfect description for these kinds of things. Well, Rally Point is a, this Rally Point is the Thunderbird Pack, the 45th Infantry Division in action, who's designed, uh, Bill Sizzler, our friend here in Cleveland, designed those scenarios. He's a long-time ASL, or squad leader designer even. He's goes back to the early days of squad leader, probably back to the purple box. And uh, Bill is a great guy. Uh, he's... Everybody knows Bill up here, and uh, it's a privilege to feature his work. He's uh, 
very well-known uh, designer. And it was a great opportunity to feature his work in here. And he's given us, um, I think we had about 14 scenarios that he gave us. A couple of them we released early in Short Punk uh, last year. Uh, one of them, I think it was. And uh, then we put the rest of them in this pack here, uh, Rally Point uh, number 5. And there's a there's a little bit of a departure from Schwer Punk. Of course, you know, we worked on them quite a bit, and we, you know, kind of put a little bit of a Schwer Punk slant on them. But he's got a pretty good variety in there. He's got some air support, some stuff that you wouldn't normally see in, Schwer, in the pages of Schwer Punk. And we're real happy with the way it came out, and uh, hope the players enjoy it. I'll bet they it's will. A lot of Ameri- it's all Americans and Germans. All Americans and Germans. You better like the Americans. So when you come to, well, and I packed up all these nationalities I brought here. Well, one, we don't have time to play. But secondly, you know, why not just zero in for a weekend on a, on a specific nationalities and try and carry less stuff with you to tournaments? Another good point. So you're playing here at the uh, at Aslock also, right? You're playing? I haven't had a chance to play yet. I plan oh, on playing yeah. tomorrow. Usually when I come up here, I got a whole playtest list that I'm working uh, with my my crew on. Uh, Pete Schelling is doing some playtesting right now. He's got a scenario he's going to give us for next year, and I'm actually looking forward to doing something that's not a playtest. And I've seen a couple of uh, high high ground scenarios and uh, a friendly fire scenario that I plan to play. See, I'm glad these guys are producing stuff because I have something else to play then. Yeah. <laughs> By the time I get done with right. Punk, I, I'm done with that. I, right. I want to sure. play something else. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And it's really interesting how the dearth of material. Everyone started producing material, you know. And now, finally, MMP is producing material again, and we've got. We're, we're certainly in uh, all the stuff. To I don't know if we want to call it the golden age, but there's a, a lot of good product out there, a lot of really nice looking stuff. We've got new maps, counters, and all kind of stuff, and uh, there's plenty of room for all of us. Yeah, everybody's got their own style, and there's a lot of room out here. When, I think we got a pretty good position in the hobby. Yeah, well, your stuff has a very high reputation for being. Uh, close games that make it into lots of tournaments. Is there a trick to this, or is that coincidence? Um, um, I, I don't think so. I, I design what I want to play, and I got a really good crew in Tampa that are longtime ASLers, squad leader players, and they're the ones that balance the scenarios, and uh, they're the ones that make them make good scenarios for us. I mean, there's there's good scenarios and bad scenarios in every pack, and we try to do the best we can and get and get the get good ones out there. Every one of these packs, statistically speaking, should have three at least three out of there that'll show up in the roar best balance. Um, right. I don't yeah. know. If, you know, if you can take roar for whatever you want to, but when I see a scenario that comes up, you know, seventy-five to seventy-four on that, roar, that, that means something to, to me. Yeah, that starts to definitely mean something. Yeah. My question's always been if the roar. Players, a new, an old guy playing a rookie, they probably shouldn't put that into the. Read the analysis. Record, but yeah, there you yeah. go. Give the rookie the analysis, and he'll know what and you know. Let him. <laughs> so. That's cool. So, Mr. Helen, anything else? Did we miss something? No, I think that covers it. Future plans again? You just keep rolling along. Well, right? we're so looking at, uh, you know, we kicked around the idea of this uh, Heroes and Knights pack. Uh, I think that Rally Point next year is going to be a uh, another starter kit issue. And uh, we're looking at uh, incorporating all of the uh, aspects, all, all the components of the combined starter kits uh, and incorporating those components in the scenarios for Rally Point number six. Rally Point, or Schwerpunk number 17, not sure yet. We've got a lot of scenarios in the backlog. 
and um, there are a lot of boards coming out. So we may do some redesigns on some of the older scenarios to incorporate the new boards. I think everybody's getting pretty well tired of board number two and board number three and board number 17. I'd like to use the 50s and 60s now. Yeah, and that's uh, try to uh, you know design scenarios for the players to use the new components that are coming out. Right, Fortenberry's new boards and those um, that yes. action pack, those double sided boards, right. those are beautiful, and it's really opening up a lot of uh, new doors for scenario designers and uh, board configurations we never had a chance to do before. You're going to see a lot of new, really innovative ideas coming out with scenario designs using those boards. Looking forward to that. Yep. Very much. Well, we got lots of good stuff to look forward to. Yep. We'll get into these packs and then do a further review on the show. Yeah. Try and get some played, which has been our weakness, as we don't get to play all of the good stuff. But um, I know that is. we'll try and make room for it, yeah. and, uh, and we'll get back to it again. Yeah. And I wish you to continue the fine work that you're doing to advance the hobby. Well, thanks. We're glad to do it and hope people continue to enjoy what we're doing. We're trying hard. and. We'll keep cranking them out and provide them as long as the players want them. That sounds good. Sounds good to us. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. Well, thanks for inviting me on. Have fun at the tournament. Thank you, Evan. Take care. Thanks. Thank you, Evan, for that great interview and for taking time. And we apologize in hindsight for all the banter that went on during that interview. Yeah. That was before we got the mail. Yeah. Oh, I played uh, Timonen the other day. Uh, this, uh, I'm sorry, this is a banter-free zone. Oh, sorry. What's next? Let's move on to what's in the box. Which is? First of all, we have to say. We have to banter a little to what's in the box. Well, here we go. What's in the box? Today it's uh, Schwerpunkt, Volume 16. Thank you, Evan Sherry. Yeah, for don- he donated this. October 2010. Yeah. These are 12 scenarios complete with designer notes and analysis. These are scenarios from the Tampa ASL group. And if you're not familiar with the Schwerpunk products, we highly recommend that you acquaint yourself. Check the show notes for a link to their website. A lot of great stuff. Very innovative and fun scenarios. All ASL. All the time. Yeah. I'll just read uh, just a little bit from the opening notes from Evan inside the magazine. Along with the 12 scenarios comes the this Schwerpunk magazine, which includes a, a little foreword from Evan. The year 2010 has been a good one for ASL players and the ASL hobby in general. Since Chaz, Chaz Argent joined the MMP team, the flow of new official products has been steady. As of this writing, MMP has released ASL Journal 8, Winter Offensive Bonus Pack, Action Pack 6, A Decade of War, including boards 1A and B, and 2A and B, and 3A and B, Out of the Attic Number 2, and the Blood Reef Tarawa Gamer's Guide. And uh, he goes on to say, uh, coming up shortly will be uh, Action Pack 7, which is going to include boards 60, 61, and 62. And they get very excited over there at Schwerpunkt, he goes on to say, when these new things come out, because uh, first thing they do is start thinking about new scenarios whenever... Whenever they see a new board, this first thing they think about is new scenarios. And he goes on to thank all the playtesters, 36 different playtesters that uh, contributed to putting together this particular action pack. Wow. Yeah. Nice. It's a nice uh, concerted effort. 
And there's a very interesting-looking article here about Marines in ASL by Brooke White, uh, covering the years August 1942 through 45. Just about uh, a very brief overview. Well, it's not that brief. It's about five pages long, four pages long, about the Marines as they entered the war. Kind of historical. Yeah, historical. The the different uh, formations and yeah, unit, formations. They, yeah, mm-hmm. what a squad consisted of, or what oh, they look like. man with a yeah, Barrington automatic rifle and a, a sergeant. Browning Brown, Brown automatic. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Which weighs twenty pounds? <clears throat> I heard that somewhere. And then there's uh, as they usually do. An analysis, a sort of an overview of each scenario, designer notes about what went into the design of the scenario, a little bit about the actual historical action behind it, and then some ideas and thoughts about each side that participates in this scenario, things you might want to be looking out for, things that are interesting that come up in the scenario. Right, and some players like to play those without reading the notes first, so yeah. they can you know, do all the sleuthing and and thinking on their own, and right. others will want to have a little help, and it's available for you. So yeah. if you don't want to know that information beforehand, then play them all first and read it later. That's right. So all that uh, great stuff about uh, all in all 22, 24 pages. Yeah, 24 pages in this. Those guys just never quit, do they? They're very busy, apparently. And then 12 scenarios. So you want to go through I have a scenario here, 182, SP-182, Vlasov's Fist. And this is a great late war scenario. Again, most of these scenarios are shorter. These are designed for your uh, weeknights or tournament play. Mm -hmm. This is five and a half turns, and yet um, 18 or more Russian squads against, uh, wow, uh, 18 also... Actually, the Russians have like 20 or something, and the Germans have like 18 defenders. And this is a late war Germany, Schachendorf, Germany, uh, March 45. And what you can look forward to in this one is playing out um, six T-34-85 tanks, gun upgunned T-34s, and three uh, Stalin II tanks. Those are the really huge, I forget the millimeter on the gun, but I don't know, 120 or something, it's... Those huge tanks at the end yeah. of the war. And the Germans, obviously struggling along with very little tanks. Well, they have five Jagdpanzers, 38Ts. Were those, those were really little, I think. Are those like armored cars, the 38Ts? Well, anyway, they're not, I know. they're not the big. I wear a 38T. They're, <laughs> they're, they're not big vehicles. So this is like an infantry defense. And, of course, there's a great mix of German squads at the end of the war, the conscripts with the first lines, with the second lines, as um, Brandenburg Division entering on turn one, trying to come to the rescue and hold off the Russian swarms. So that looks like a lot of fun. A little ground snow. Easy rules. Don't be frightened by that. And on the back of that's 181, Elephant of Surprise. This scenario is also a German-Russian one. Five and a half turns also. And um, it's like an evenly matched up thing. There's there's two Panzer Jaegers and uh, two SU-122s again, so you get your big tanks involved in this one. Fun, fun. I've got something here. This one looks interesting. This is uh, Schwerpunkt 185, designed by Evan Sherry. 
a conflict between the Germans and the Russians in the Ukraine, uh, June 23rd, 1941. Now, this one is interesting. It uses board uh, 2 and 18, half of each board. Interesting thing about this is that on the Russian side, uh, the only orders of battle here are four T-34s. And on the German side, there's three Panzer III-Hs, two Panzer III-Fs, and a 9-1 armor leader. Oh, so that's like a good tank training scenario. You might want to use this for tank training. Some people would argue that these are not, that these all tanks, ones are not good for tank training. I don't know why, but I've seen... combined arms. But if you're just learning about armor factors and kill numbers, why do you want to mess with having infantry messing up the game? This one and Panzer Prowls would be the ones that I would be... Puma Prowls. uh, Puma Prowls, right. And um, I thought this was interesting in the... um, in the SSRs, it says each time a Russian tank receives a hit from ordnance that results in no effect, that tank, that tank's crew must take a, a task check, and failure of the check recalls the tank. Okay. So, you know, potentially a very short scenario, uh, but should be very interesting. It is four and a half turns, and the victory conditions are the Russians win if they have more victory points than the Germans, and then there's a little, little description of what the victory points should be. So that looks like fun. Beer and pretzels and tanks. And I have 187, Stairway to Heaven. And this is set in Spain in 1937. So that's the Spanish Civil War. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, pitting the um, nationalists against the Republicans. And the Republicans include the Abraham Lincoln Battalion. Uh, Do you know about them, Jeff? No, I don't. They were American volunteers that went over to fight. Oh, no, I didn't know. For the Republicans. And, uh, yeah, American volunteers, they formed the Abraham Lincoln Battalion, and they fought in the war. And there's, with them, and you use American counters for those, and with them are um, elements of 6th Fervier Battalion Internationalist Brigades. I don't know anything about them, but it says use the French counters for that, for those troops. It's one board, it's a six-and-a-half turn game, and four DCs. So maybe if you're going to do some DC training, maybe you want to try that one. And on the back here, I've got 188 on the road again, a Japanese-American venture, five and a half turns. Uh, those two are by Hugh Downing. My first two were by Evan Sherry. And what's unique about this is how often do you see Japanese tanks? Yeah, it's pretty rare. Pretty rare, and here's mm-hmm. five of six of them coming where, on. Where does this one take place? This is in the Philippines. Hmm. Yeah, they probably were in there a long time, so I don't know. Maybe they brought a lot of tanks in. I don't know why there aren't more tanks around. But it's 1945. They all got stuck in the Philippines. And, yeah. Uh, like jungle, you know, but it looks really good because it gives you a chance to use those Japanese tanks. Yeah. Which don't get out much. Uh, Beaufort's Feast is number 186, again by Evan Sherry. This takes place in Belgium. And the Germans against the pretty much the French here. Uh, six turns. A nice uh, smattering on the German side of uh, of infantry along with uh, radio. So they get to call in. What are they calling in here? So yeah, they've got an offboard observer. There's some OBA going on in here anyway. So the, and then there's a Panzer IV, pan, uh, three Panzer threes, and a Panzer two F. And uh, while the French are, all they have are these S-35s, which I'm not familiar with offhand. Samoa tank or something? Yeah, something like that. 
Um, anyway, the Germans win at game end if they have, um, they've got to get close to some buildings uh, that the French are occupying. So it looks pretty basic and fun and look like a quick move, six six turns, get, get done with that in an hour, probably <laughs> maybe half an hour. A little longer than that. Okay. If there's no banter, it goes a lot faster. The gaming, gaming. yeah, it yeah. actually does. If you sit yeah. back and talk to your friends while you're gaming, I've spent Yeah, many what's the point of that? It's gaming. You should How's serious. it going and all that stuff. Yeah, I really shouldn't have fun like that. And this one is Rock the Kasaba, SP-192, mm-hmm. and that is by Pete Schelling. Both these are. Hmm. And um, Hungarians, 1944, against the Russians. And you get the famous Nimrod vehicles, two of them. Mm. I love the Nimrod because, I don't know, Yeah, that's a fun name to call people. Yeah. I actually know somebody, and their last her last name is Nimrod. Maybe they come from the family that designed yeah, could these. Could be. And Tatra, Island, Tatra Salad is Scenario 191, also by Pete, and this features a group of Slovakian defense people and a group of French prisoner of wars that were freed or escaped and joined into the battle, facing off against the Germans, 1944. This one is called uh, Last Full Measure, again by Evan Sherry. takes place in 1945 on the island of Okinawa, so a late war. And it might be a good one for somebody that's just getting started with with, Jap- with rules that include Japanese, um, because PTO... Terrain is not in effect in this. Oh, so you can start learning just the infantry, the, the unique uh, nationalistic capabilities. Right. right, without having to worry about all of the nuances of fighting in the jungle and things like that. Apparently, uh, Okinawa is not that jungly. I don't know. I'm just taking that from from what I'm reading here yeah, on this scenario. Yeah, I think that's true. So, uh, And this uses board half of board 2A. That looks like fun. Uh, the Japanese are uh, dug in. There's uh, three trench counters and two pillboxes bunch of concealment counters that the Japanese gets to start with against the Marines that are coming on with nine seven six eights and flamethrowers which is yeah well one flamethrower uh, 60 millimeter mortar and uh, demolition charge and two bass 45s yep sounds like a marine so, force there. yeah there's going to be lots of action in this five and a half turns guaranteed to have fun or your money back yes well we should cheerfully say that. refunded and then uh, my last one is called Cornered Beasts. This is Schwerpunkt 184, again by Evan Sherry. I guess all mine were by Evan. Takes place in Petrushki, Ukraine. In this, the Russians must defend against the Germans, who are coming on strong with pans, uh, three Panzer 3Hs. Lots of tanks in this one. Three Panzer 3Hs, three Panzer 3Fs, two SPWs against three Russian KV-2s and two OT-133s. Six and a half turns. This one will probably take an hour and 15 minutes. It's a long one. And I have SP-189. Oh, uh, sorry. There's air support, too. The German get to call in one Stuka. Oh, oh. Uh, 139 with a bomb. Oh, good. And I, with an bomb. I like eight, I like air support rules. I know some people don't, but I... I like them. It's just like two, three pages of rules. We'll do a show on it one day. We can cut out that banter. That was too much. <laughs> we'll cut that out. Uh, this is 189 Hell's Last Issue by Michael Faulkner. 
And it has some fortified building locations for the Germans. They get a module of 80 OBA. And it's the Canadians coming in here with a lot of carriers. Well, four or five carriers and a wasp with a flame-throwing carrier. That's always fun to have. And on the back of that, I have one by Mike Augustine, Botcher's Corner, which is a Japanese one also, and American. And um, reinforcements come on both both teams, both sides, get some reinforcements coming on. This uses board 3A. Those are the new funny-shaped, bigger boards. Right. And one of my other ones had a 1A in there also, I noticed. Uh, so they are making use of all that new stuff that's come out. Right. Yeah, which is nice. And there you go. That's a, a look at what's in the box. That's Schwerpunk Volume 16. Available at... At Schwerpunk.com. I, 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 d- I actually don't remember the web address right now, but check the show notes. We'll put you a link right on there. there. Order it in time for Christmas of 2011. And these Schwerpunk are popular items, and they're... Well respected, yeah, within the community. Yep, yeah. and we again thank Evan for his contribution to that. And we should play some of those. Hopefully, we'll get a chance. Now that we're not bantering, we'll have a lot more spare time. Hello, I'm Samuel Carey, calling from Nebraska. Try to enter the contest. I'm new to ASL, one of those mythical twenties uh, playing war gamers. And I'm hoping to get some more stuff of it for Christmas this year. So thought I'd enter the contest. Maybe get some extra. Uh, thank you for your guys' show, and I uh, uh, will continue to listen. Bye. Well, thanks, Sam, for that entry into our previous contest to win the box art painting and the extra prize. He was probably shooting for that extra prize. Which yeah, was probably. A, yeah, was a scenario pack. Yes. Um, and sorry you didn't win, Sam, but thanks for your entry. We'll be having more contests, so keep listening. Better just stop talking. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we'll go to the sounds of the game. Palatine Area Advanced Squad Leader. This is a second time that we've visiting and hearing players talk about their games they played and uh, listening to some guys playing. Now, when when did you record this? I haven't heard this yet. So. Quite a while ago. Okay. <laughs> Well, that doesn't really like actually six months, no. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So yeah, these be, are always interesting. Hope, like hopefully, these. some people enjoyed yeah listening yeah. to the sounds of the game. All right, this is our second edition of the sounds of the game. Visiting the PAASL club. I'll go downstairs now. And he even said, he even said to trick me. He pulled a uh, a, a British. Maneuver, he said, Well, that's three points over there. Like, remember that? <laughs> yeah, squad leader. And I'm like, Crap, that is three points. And I remember my guy, and they're dead. He totally lied to me. I did lie. It's true. Oh, Dave. <laughs> terrible. In the air and I'm a new player. He lied to me. Right. Oh, come on. Did you lie? Did you like to Well, I said that's three points if I exit that dummy stack. I said right. that's three points Man. over there. Wow, that's low. Really early. It was like five stack. turns ago. Like, he still remembered it. I don't know if I could sleep with that. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I went to the French. It was a new player. They hear it. Dice bouncing around the floor. Where did it go? That was me. I'm holding shooter breaking guns and repairing guns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I just leave everybody together and blast away. 
We only have two games done. This whole game turned on one thing. All right, that sounds of the game. Let's interview Tom Barcolo. Okay, so I played ASL Scenario 7 out of the starter kit. The reason that I picked it was it had low counter numbers and it looked like it'd be a quick game. I took the German. Uh, I misread the setup and wound up setting up a hex row further back than necessary. And then um, Doug Breeze advised me how to set up. I did that. It worked out pretty well. The whole game really, after we were three or four turns into it, realized the whole game was pivoting around the fact that Mike had only two leaders and he lost his Bever leader on the very first turn to a bad morale die roll. I did a scars. Yes, I did a uh, you know a uh, first fire, and it was a morale check. So he checked the leader, rolled box cars, rolled again, and got a five. So it killed the leader. And what that did was he only had one leader that was on the other side of the board, so most of his units were on the side where the leader was dead, so he could not rally them when they broke because he could only self-rally one unit at a time. And that really, really put him in Hurt City because he was only operating with like four squads at one point, and that just wasn't enough. But... He was able to crack that defensive line the Germans had set up. I got lucky, and I had a couple of units route, went through interdiction and passed morale each time. And I had a leader that passed morale in interdiction. And the only thing I can attribute that to is the fact they were the elites and had a fairly high morale number. So... Um, don't know really what else to say about the game. Yeah, and that was Prelude to uh, Festung Brest. Right. Uh, starter kit scenario S7. And Germans setting up as far forward as they can then, right. I recommend. Yeah. And being able to fall back across that street and then make right. a second stop there. Right. Though I, I basically never fell back until I had to. Right. By being broken. And right. And so at the final turn of the game, when we started, I had a unit that was broken, that recovered, that would cover the lanes that he'd have to cross in order to, to CX and get into buildings. And we both decided that kind of tipped the balance. There was no way he could get the requisite number of hexes. Right. So. All right, well, thanks for coming, Tom, and we'll talk to you next time. Okay, thank you. Break for Hungary from Journal 7, is that right, Doug? I believe it is, Dave. And did you think it was balanced, Doug? Uh, I did. I actually thought it was a fairly balanced scenario. And, Dave, how would you say overall that your dice rolls went in this game? <laughs> every, I think every, every dice I rolled was a six or less, except for... Um, five times when I broke two squads and I broke three support weapons. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. And, Doug, how are your dice rolls? Um, I'm trying to think of a time I rolled less than an eight. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> I, I, I broke both of my, my machine guns.
Yes, she's like machine guns. Both yes, of those are did. down. Um, and the, uh, this, one, this one features... I, I almost passed a morale check once. I can't remember if it was like turn two or turn three. <laughs> he passed a couple, but not a lot. Um, however, what's weird is, in spite of that phenomenal die rolling, good and bad, it still ended up, I was trying to blitz down the right side of the board through the woods with the pass and the roads, and I'd recommend that to everybody, but you better cut off the rest of the partisans from moving to their left flank over to board 42 to cut you off, which Doug managed to do. He ended up with two squads, a leader, a light machine gun right, stuff like that over there, as I was coming up with um, a, a two-to-one force, but still, everyone knows in ASL, a couple of bad rolls, my two-to-one force is suddenly not enough to exit to win. I have to exit eight points to win. That was interesting. We thought... Remember, we, we were all, I wasn't going to concede the game on turn four because I thought you were going to get all those guys off. And all of a sudden, in a turn and a half, the whole thing changed. And then you realized, well, I'm going to go for, for casually victory points to sew it up. And I neglected my broken guys. You surrounded them, massed up a bunch of points in one turn, and it was pretty much over. Yeah, so the partisan had to abandon their broken guys to fall back to cut off my right. movement off the right flank, my right flank, board 42, and up the center of 38. I finally made a blitz up the center of 38. And when Doug fell back to cut off that, which you were doing, you were going to end up cutting me off, I surrounded the uh, guys who left behind and broken up front. Right, Gathered the points I needed, and then... Then I started running right. away. Right. Run away. Um, and then, uh, of course, your clever use of, of three additional uh, dummy counters that I, I failed to count how many you had. Yeah, I brought a squad and a half squad over to stop your, your three dummies from getting off the board. Yeah, I used the dummy stack on, on, on board two. We lost the end of that interview. Let's go to Bob Holmstrom. All right, we have the very esteemed Bob Holmstrom. Oh, yes, top dog in the club, and John Pyers, who doesn't like to talk a lot, but they both said they would talk about the game. What did you play, boys? Uh, no comment. Uh, far, <laughs> far from home uh, from the new Action Pack, Action Pack 53. On the new board. On the new board, yep. First uh, thumbs up on the new boards, yeah, by the way. Definitely big thumbs up on the new boards. They like the new boards. Uh, good depth, you know. It's just it's a good uh, battlefield. that's not elongated like a regular uh, the regular geo boards are. Yeah, it's more square. It's more square, yeah. Rectangular. Nice, nice field of those. Less than half. And do you think it was balanced? Uh, review of the game. I think so. I mean, I think it's. A, what do you think, John? Yeah, it's close. I, maybe the Russians have a little edge, or the, the sorry, Republicans. It's like the Spanish Civil War. <laughs> right, it's not the Russians. Right. Yeah, I made that mistake too. Yeah, uh, yeah a little bit. Bob had a little bad luck with his when his whole right flank went down. He had like four four squads failed normal morale checks in with the same turn, so I was able to mop that whole building up. Yeah, I would say overall, I think I like my side too because you have the better you have the better tanks. Which is the Republican side. Yeah. yeah. And did they win tonight? No. No. no bad. Yeah. No. We we called it early. It was it was turn four. And we you know it's getting late. It's getting late. So Johnny had the upper hand. I mean, I don't think it was it was far from over, but yes. you know, we want to get some sleep. So, would you recommend a different strategy at all, or do you think the way you guys played it out was fine? Or? I thought it was pretty straightforward. You know, I think it's um, go hit the enemy, drive, push him back. Yeah, you know, John went up. There's there's some interesting victory conditions. There's you get turned 
points every turn for the first three turns that you hold certain buildings. Oh, so so time makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's unique. Right, and it's interesting. If both sides have to attack, it's counter attack and counter attack. It's not one side is just sitting, you know, hedgehogging so in a building and waiting it out. Everybody, okay. a lot of fire and maneuver. Yeah. Definitely. It's, a, it's an interesting situation. It's, it's good. I like, uh, you know, there's the fact, like I said, I still had a good chance because the Russians have some decent tanks, the or the, the Republicans, the Republicans. <laughs> and the, the, uh, the Democrats or the Nationalists. Right. They don't have a lot of effective anti-tank you know, weapons. So they don't have a lot, yeah. And, and part of it is there's two important hexes that um, are worth the most VP, and potentially... The Republicans yeah, can just, the just drive one of their tanks back there, park it on the last turn, and, you know, and get like the five points. And it's a ten-point swing, right? And it's right? a ten-point swing, uh, Minus yeah. for him and yeah. plus for you. Right. So, Jay, it's very important. So, uh, yeah. So, unless, uh, you know, they can take out some tanks, the Nationalists can. That could be kind of a huge end, end game. So, we didn't get to that point. Right. That's where it would have been headed. So. All right. Well, then thank you for coming, gentlemen. Thanks right. for hosting as always, Dave. Yeah, we'll thanks, Dave. Big thumbs time. up here on AP Extra Pack 6. All right. Nice. Good review. Thanks. All right. Bob and John think they are done recording, but I have turned the recorder back on without their knowing it. Cost casualties keep keep them from... Right. Or I was a little cavalier with my tanks. Maybe keep them safer. And then to counteract your last turn push, do my own push, like park one there. Yeah. Okay. And sneak one on the bridge, and then you—it's your choice. Yeah. Just keep them in motion, even, and hope you don't blast them, because then in turn seven. But I get the last move. Right, right. But if you move in to my hex with a vehicle, I still control it. Yeah. Right. I have to. You'd have to kill them. I'd have to stop, shoot, which is then low odds. Right. So yeah. Maybe that's something to do. Actually, yes. Keep a you know motion. in motion vehicle back here. That's probably the best defensive J8, rather than counting on MGs or ATRs to do damage. Right. Uh, do you want to keep your sniper? Yeah, keep them over. And then the the vehicles, we're gonna put them back. Uh, uh, just just uh, we're safe here. In the should be something like this. Or as I forget. I do kind of like the scenario. I would like to play it again. Yeah. So it's longer, though, than, uh, How many hours than a quick night. Yeah, yeah, when I yeah. when you guys showed up and I looked at them, like, uh, let's see, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17. I was a little surprised when I sat down and saw how much it was. I thought, first of all, I said, hey, you know, there's only a little bit of first and the reinforcements. Come later. Come later. Maybe we can get it in. It's the smallest one from this action pack. <laughs> it's you know. <laughs> oh, really? Most yeah. of the scenarios are pretty medium. Yeah, they're, they're they're pretty big, yeah. yeah. Well, so bigger boards, bigger scenarios. You know. So, but I'm like, I just want to play these of the boards, you know. Prisoners. Now this is the last game, and it's between Dave Timonen and Ron Schatz. Let's have a listen, shall we? And then it did a one. Didn't know if you were going to try to sneak around over here. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had my gun this way. I thought for sure you'd come this way. <laughs> but it was light over here, so then you fall. Did the yeah. gun take anybody out? 
No. Oh, well, actually, yeah, no, he did. Yeah, one. He, he did. missed. He missed one guy. Yeah, Panzer Faust. Yeah, that was two Cavalier. Panzer Faust, sir. That was two Cavalier. How did your other game turn out? All right, guys. Good day. All right. See you, Bob. See you, Bob. Five tanks. What's the ditch? On the traps. On the traps. See tonight. Five for five. You only have one. Where do they put the traps in their game when you play yeah, well, yeah. This seems too obvious. So I was thinking here. You know what? I won't put it here because he won't go there. I thought about doing that. So he put, you, it, he put, put it here. Okay. So what? That would cut this oh, off? Oh, one. But again, you no, did what, um, you know, I was... Yeah. Well, no, he put it in O or one or S S one. one okay. S one. Maybe S one would have been better than O one. But and then he had it in L one. Okay. Okay. So there's a really small crack to get through. But I'm thinking you would have. Yeah. Well, I got through the wood spine here, but then I went into here and gone. Went into here, gone. Went into here, gone. Oh, jeez. Um, so went around woods. the corner. And, well, I did miss these. And he had one of the oddballs was here. Right. I don't know. I don't know. It was. Um, Okay. Oh, way over here? Yeah, yeah that is kind of odd. Well, because you're thinking, okay, you're keep off the tracks, and you only found four of them. Stay off, the, obviously, the road. Right, right. All right, let's do an interview, gentlemen, although I've been recording you without your knowing it. Oh, no. With <laughs> <laughs> a very faint talking. So talk real loud. What did you play? We paid one out of the uh, Journal 8. Journal 8, J... J120. 120. Ish... Tank, tank traps. Yeah, the Russians decided to cross over, and they didn't take any uh, recon, so they kind of yeah, lost their vehicles because I couldn't even I couldn't even uh, oh, search right. for these things. Now this thing is they have these tank traps you can place before the game. Yep, correct. Six of them. And if, six places. If you hit if the vehicles, if vehicles hit the hex, in it, they fall or, in. Or or an adjacent, they, an adjacent woods. woods hex, a one through four they fall in it and they are out of the game. Okay. One through four. And if they roll a five or six, the vehicle's they're, okay. They're it knows that tank they're trap is right. there then. And so you could lose a lot. How many tanks did you lose to the traps? One. One. Uh, yeah, only three, one. three to Panzerfaust, though. Oh, three and, to yeah. Panzerfaust. Yeah, those are and, deadly. I and mean, one to the AT gun. I don't usually play the Germans, so it's unusual for me to have all those Panzerfaust. Yeah, when well, huh? you and I play, I usually don't play the Germans. Honestly, yeah. I only had one. But they are deadly. Tank. I only had one tank left. Right, this main arm and twice. Unless I repaired it. All right. This would have been interesting to play out. Even though you got in here, I would oh. probably try to, you know, survive your prep. What are you talking about? The hill in the middle of the board? Yeah, well, the middle he, board. He's definitely going to take it. I managed to crack him with um, the one, one uh, KB-85 and force the morale. He, he on board be, 18, the hill toward the Russian side? Yeah, the early, the early building. They're still duking that out and, and no, we're not, we're not duking, no, we're not duking that out. I'm, I've okay. got that. Because I'm advancing oh, okay. into it. You now. advance into but it. But the only problem is the oh, next turn, i, 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 I got to get a oh, third So do you think the game is balanced, gentlemen? Um, yeah, there's experience. The Panzer Fouls are definitely deadly. The traps didn't weren't really a factor well, in this well, game. Well, the tracks were very much a factor. But so we got to remember, remember, I played it before once, like last weekend. Right. And I lost five tanks to oh, tank to traps. traps. But you didn't lose any tanks to traps tonight. I lost, almost no. lost, I almost lost one. But you didn't. No, you rolled a five. So tonight true. really wasn't a factor. Well, it was a factor because I wasn't advancing willy, 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 willy. Well, okay, I see what you're saying. I wasn't going through this gap. You were being gap. more cautious. I, wasn't, I knew not to go in that gap. I knew the center of the board. Down. Right. Okay. So yeah. you knew to go not in obvious places, but still. Right. True. So they were 
yeah. a factor. Okay, I hear what you're saying. And, that, yep. and because I only found one, they were even more of a factor in the backfield. Right. Because once they're not employed, and all of a sudden, they could be anywhere. That's an interesting spot is to put them back by the back By the victory positions? Yeah. The game is winning two buildings, not correct saving one building. Right. So, so the Panzer Faust were definitely deadly. Oh. That, you know, that's... that's as, as usual. At two hex range on moving targets. Close, right. Yeah. Oh, moving he, targets. Oh, he's still at moving targets. Yes. And I did have a mortar on the hill and a half squad with a, with oh, a light that's kind of... That's fun. Yeah, kind of tried to hold on the flank over here. On well, that covered, that covered right. any... Mortar. That covered any open ground moving mm-hmm. for... Right. So it's a good spot for the mortar, maybe. But it... The, the mortar didn't do really anything, though, right? I mean, yeah, there was he did stuff by being there. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. The effects wise, yes, the threat was the probably implied more. threat. Yeah. Yeah. It had nothing to do with Pushed whether he was true. effective. Kept everyone from moving. Yeah, I guess I'm not thinking of it that way. But yeah, the you're mortar. Right. You are right. The I'm mortar might like he didn't do anything. He got you too too even up. I mean, come on. What do you mean? No, he, you know what he did. I don't have enough guys to get to the back back row this time. Right, because they were afraid of the mortars. Because sure. I was working on them here, and I should have right. been pulling them back a turn. Yeah, right. it did hold off that flank. You're right. Yeah. It did. All right, there's, there's an implied threat. Yeah. Always work on You're your right. own threat. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming to recommend playing issuing tank traps. It's so unique. Yeah, today. it's a bit unnerving. <laughs> Even if I played it twice now, yeah. I am very respectful of the traps. Yeah. One to four kills a tank, no questions asked. No and those questions. are big tanks to lose, aren't they? No one's ever. Yeah. No one's ever. SU 185s. Yeah. One SU 85s. Dang. They, All they right. Hit in the 30 chart. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dave and Ron, for coming out tonight, and we'll look for you next time. Great. Well, I haven't won yet, so. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. A second look at the Palatine Area Advanced Squad Leaders Group. We hope that you found that a little bit interesting, learned a little bit about a few scenarios, and got to listen to the sounds of the game. And hope you're encouraged to form your own club. See you next time. All right, laddies, time for a little cavalry charge sample tutorial kind of thing. I've set up my board. I've taken board four and laid it out, and I have randomly, fairly randomly, placed a German 467 and hex U8, a German conscript 236 half squad in U6, a German 447 second line squad in V5, a 436 conscript squad in W7, and a 237 second line half squad in Y6. Germans are just kind of spread out there, waiting for the charge to be charged. And in Q7, I have a horse counter with a 458 elite Russian and an 8 neg 1 leader. In R6, I have another cav horse counter, full squad counter, with a 527 full squad on it. That was R6. R4, another full squad cav counter with a 447 Russian full squad on it. And a Q4, Q4, conscripts Russian squad, 426 on a cav counter. And then in P4, just for fun, I put a single horse counter with 12 movement factors. 
and an 8.0 liter. That is the setup for this demonstration. And let's say the season is the good old summertime, so grain is in effect. Now, the Russian would have no reason to prep fire in this situation, most likely, as firing from mounted cavalry units fire as mounted fire, except in close combat or a charge, so that would be half firepower. So, you know, a two-shot isn't much good here, and that's not what we want to demonstrate in this little tutorial anyway. My ultimate goal here will be to try and hit all of these units in some fashion, the German units. So I'm going to start off with charging the cav unit in R4, the Russian 447. So I need to declare, I'm going to declare a gallop, which is going to add eight movement factors to the 12, giving me 20, an amazing 20 movement factors, not movement points, but the double time marker, the CX uh, marker, would go on the horses, not the infantry. So off I go into hex S5, T4, T5, I cannot use bypass when I'm galloping. I would love to, but I can't. And so at this point, the conscript German 237, let's say, it's going to fire. First fire, attack. It rolls a fictional, well, for purposes of the demonstration, let's take an average roll just for fun. A two, double to a four shot. And he rolls a average roll of seven which the cavalry is always subject to a neg two. It's not in addition to the non-assault movement, movement open ground. It's just a neg two to the cav, to the guys who are, the, who are riding the horses, who are the cavalry units. And so the seven becomes a five. That result is a one check. And that same dice roll of seven also applies to the cavalry unit, the horses themselves, the horse counter. And so... If we look at the four column, the star vehicle line, the number in there is a five. You see where it says Maltov four slash thirty seven below that star vehicle line, which is unarmored vehicle line, is a five. I did not roll a five. And so the horses are okay. The men take a one check, okay, they roll a five, plus one is six, they make their morale check. Residual of two is left in that hex, and at this point I'm going to enter hex U6. Now the cost to do this charge into the enemy hex is three movement factors. Um, the rule states when it declares it to charge, it can gallop into that location and pays three movement factors simultaneously with the cost to enter the target location which was open ground one, so that's four movement factors, um, to enter the location. Now the squad in the hex is going to fire uh, final protective fire. It's triple for final uh, in-hex fire and halved 
and it's always halved because of the rules. So if you didn't fire first fire and subsequent, and you took your first shot while they entered your hex, it's still tripled and it's still halved as a final protective fire shot. From the way I understand the rules, FPF rule 13.351. And then he rolls the dice, he rolls another seven. That's going to break the half squad because it was a, the German half squad, it was a final protective fire shot. That's going to be a, again, a one check on the Russian. He rolls a four. He makes it, uh, plus one five, and the horses are still okay. And now that's interesting. I don't, does he leave Rizid in his own hex? I guess he does. I actually would have to look that up, and I'm not going to do it right now. At this point, the Russian squad may fire. Neither half for mounted fire, nor penalized by the horse's CX status. So, he's going to take triple point-blank fire. That's a 12 shot. Excellent shot. And that shows you the power of a charge, if you can get into the same hex. So, 12 shot, I roll, let's take again an average roll of 7. On the 12 chart, that's a one check on a broken conscript half squad German. His morale number's four. His average roll of seven. He's going to fail his morale and he's going to be eliminated in that overrun. Well, it's not an overrun. I guess it's a cav charge triple fire shot. And then my cav unit is free to continue movements into another hex, so boy, V5 looks interesting, doesn't it? Let's just go ahead, and we have to now declare a charge versus it, because so far we spent one in S5, one in T5, four in U6, and I was three or greater away, so it was okay to declare a charge. Oh, maybe I can't declare a charge now against V5 because I'm not three hexes away from it? Because you only declare a charge if you were three or greater than three away. I'm not really sure about that. So just to be safe, let's go ahead and declare a charge versus Y6, a crazy move. Let's move to V6. Let's say V5 doesn't fire because it's waiting to fire at another cab it knows is coming later. And then into... W6, now the conscript 436 will probably fire at this point. He's going to fire with a 8 shot, minus 2 for cavalry, and he gets a 4, minus 2 against the cavits, the uh, infantry, which is the cavalry, the Russian squad, on top of the horse counter, and it is a 2 on the 8, yikes, KIA, and a 2 on the star vehicle line in the 8 column. You would need a 7 or less, and a 2 would result in the cav counter being removed from the board, placing a resid counter of 4 in W6. 
Well, he was vapoed, but he did his job. Uh, I guess he took out a half squad and drew first fire from the German squad in W7. Let's charge with the next unit. Let's go to R6. He cannot charge the 527 Russian. He cannot charge the German in U8. So he's going to declare a charge on the squad that first fired in W7. The German 436, and off he goes. He moves to S7. Let's go T6 to avoid getting close to the 467 in U8. Of course, the 467 knows that I'm probably not going to risk the resid of 1 in U6. I put that in after the triple point blank shot because I think it should be. I still haven't checked the rules, though. And he'll go to U7. And then that 467 will take his first fire shot. Oh, he gets a 10. Minus 2 is an 8 against the 527 squad. So an 8 on the 8 is a normal check, which the Russian makes. And the 8, or the 10 rolled on the star vehicle line, it's not a 7 or less. So the cavalry are also free to keep going. So we mark him with a first fire and the 467, and we place a resid of 4 into hex U7, and the cav squad will move to, let's go to V7, and then I think it's smart for the German conscript 436 to go ahead and fire adjacent at V7, the 527 Russian squad. So he'll take his final fire, see what it can do. That's a four shot, doubled but half for subsequent first fire. And he rolls, he rolls a five. Now the five equals the vehicle star number. If we look at rule, 13.511. Horses are attacked using the star vehicle line. Uh, in addition to, and at the same time as, fire against the cab units riding them. Horses are not subject to the neg 2 for cab or to the movement open ground on assault movement. If it's less than the vehicle kill number, well, we'll skip that because it's equal to the star vehicle kill number. One horse counter suffers casualty reduction. All others are unharmed. Random selection would be used for this. And so, I flip the horse counter with the three horse depictions on it and flip it over to the two horses depicted on the back of the counter and leave it in V7 right now. Now the problem is, this 527 squad can't fit on this half squad, half squad capacity horse counter. So, I have to half squad this 527. I'm sorry, I have to break it into two half squads, one of which can remain on that horse counter, and the other of which must bail out and it's in that hex. So he takes a normal morale check as part of his bailout, the half squad, he rolls a nine. He fails his morale check. He is placed, well, under the vehicle, but this would be 
in hex V7 at ground level, and the CAV would continue into W7, foreseeing, I believe, a final protective fire shot uh, from 436 in W7, the conscript German, which will fire roll 10 which is, let's see, tripled, 12, halved, 6. No effect on the 6 shot. Neg 2 on the cavalry. No, this is a pin check. They can't be pinned anyway. So he breaks in hex W7, and the cav rolls, which is a half squad, Triple, not half for mounted fire. What a gift this is, huh? That's a six shot. And, oh, rolls an eight pin check. Well, the German's already broken, so it doesn't matter. And he's going to stay in the hex. After resolving the charge attack, he may remain mounted in its current hex. He may dismount or enter another location. If it remains in an enemy-occupied location, it's not yet in melee. And should be marked with a CC counter. A unit that declared a charge in its movement phase may not attack during the ensuing advance fire phase, even if currently dismounted, and at the end of its movement phase is marked with a prep fire counter as a reminder of its status. So do I gain anything by staying mounted in the close combat phase, thinking ahead, and looking at the chart, no, the close combat table chart, A11.11, no, cavalry has no problem close combating. Interesting. I would think it would be easier to shoot the horses or something. I don't see it on that chart, and I don't see it in the rules. I might be wrong, but I'm going to go with it, so I'm going to stay mounted in that hex. The next cavalry charge will come... From Q4, the 426 conscript Russian will begin its charge, declare a charge on the 447 in V5, and move to R4, S5, into the residual at T5. He'll survive that shot. Go into U6, 1, neg 2, oh, an 8, that's a 6, no effect, and move into V5. Now, since the unit in V5, 447 German, has not fired, he's going to take his first shot. That's going to be a 12 firepower, tripled, and it is still treated as final protective fire. according to that rule. So that drops it to a 6. So it's area fire. And I assume that's still a morale check against him. He makes his roll. He rolls a 6. Neg 2 against the infantry. I mean the cavalry Russian squad. On the 6 chart. That's a 4. That's a 2 check. And the 6 on the cavalry... Half squads it again. 
just like we illustrated before. Now let's assume that that horse counter would be eliminated, that he rolled, uh, let's say he rolled a 5, minus 2 would be a 3, that would half squad the 426 and be a 2 check on the remaining half squad, and it would eliminate the horse counter. So to eliminate that horse counter, the effect of that would have been to force the infantry itself to bail out. So for fun, let's change that result to eliminating the horse counter, take it off the board. Now the shot would have been a 5 on the 6 at a minus 2, would have half-squatted the unit, so the conscript 426 would be half-squatted, to a resulting 226, and that remaining 226 has a 2-check on him, which he would then roll. Oh, he got a 5, 6, 7, he fails, so he's flipped to a broken side, and now he has to bail out, which forces him to take another normal morale check, and oops, another five, even with low dice rolls, this conscript unit is gone. Not a good idea, I guess, to charge into battle with them. Now let's take that 8-0 leader on that single horse counter in P4. He's going to attack. He's going to declare a charge on someone in his line of sight. I think he can see... Y6. Okay, I haven't checked the line of sight. If you can't, oh well. I cheated. But he's going to charge to Q4. R3. S3. That's going to cost two movement factors because it is the shell holes on the road. So that's a total of four. And we're going to hit T2 for five. U2, six. V1, seven. W2, eight. W3, nine. X3, 10, X4, why go in the open ground? Don't need to. 1.5, 11.5, X5, 12.5, I have 13 movement factors. And he can still enter Y6 at 17 movement factors for the attack. So let's say the 237 fires with a double shot at the oncoming single man counter and rolls a 8, 4 would be a normal check on the 8-0 and no effect on the horse counter and the 8-0 makes his check and now he can enter Y6. Why uh, the half squad has to take that final protective fire, and let's assume he breaks. You got a nice little possibility for a close combat there. Now it is possible for that guy to dismount. He may remain mounted in the current hex, dismount, or in another location, provided it has sufficient remaining movement factors to do so. And sadly, in this case, he does not have enough remaining movement factors because he used 17. Now, the dismounting rules are much like the mounting vehicles rules, where it's a quarter of the movement factors for a quarter used of the movement points. And in this case, 
Had the horse only used 16, it would have had 25% left to use, and the infantry could have then uh, used his a quarter of his move to dismount. So the 8-0 Russian unit will stay mounted. Now just to illustrate a different way of doing things, we could take the cavalry unit with the 4-5-8 and the 8-neg-1 leader together on Q7 and just simply move them without declaring a gallop to R6. Now, in this, in this case, he could bypass R7 if he's not declaring a gallop and charging. Uh, and then S7, T7, all right, you take a subsequent shot from that German unit in U8, 4, neg 2, we all know that can miss easily enough. And if he rolls an 8, oh, there's an 8, minus 2, 6, normal check normal check on the leader and squad they're both morale of eight they both make it with average rolls or less the horses survived they could then dismount in t7 and sit there in the open ground and then advancing fire into u8 and then advance into close combat and at that point, I think I'll wrap up this little demo. I hope that something had to be wrong and hope it was mostly right. I'm sure it was mostly right. may have been all right and 100% correct, but um, looking at it now, you can see that using the cavalry when you force the final protective fire, it's a great tactic if you have multiple horse counters to follow up on guys who've already fired. You can get them to break their morale in that final protective fire and then... Engage them in close combat, as we have set up here with an 8-0. Going to engage the broken half-squad in Y6, and a 2-2-7 good order half-squad first-line Russian and cavalry mounted in W7 against that full broken full-squad. But we also saw a lot of Russian casualties with the neg-2 to them, because they're mounted, or because they're cavalry on the normal morale checks, neg twos on, I mean, the shots are all at neg two. And of course, the vulnerability of the horses themselves. And then the subsequent bailing out, which can be quite a problem. And of course, the cavalry are very good at getting long distances in a short amount of time, as you saw with the 8-0 leader that crossed that vast amount of space to go around in a very short amount of time. So use them for movement. And hope that's helpful for you, and we'll look forward to doing another one of these for you in the future. Take care. All right, hope you enjoyed it. guess that wraps it up for this show. Episode 46 is done. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We do appreciate each and every one of you. We hope you enjoy the new abbreviated show. Look, it's going to be a lot less time, Jeff, because we didn't... Yeah, we get right down to it. ...waste people's time by talking. Yeah. So, bye. Oh, remember to roll low and rally well. And not when you're playing us. Right. Yeah. All right, bye. Bye, everybody. Hey, Sherry. Sherry. Hey. Sorry.